Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Thank you for sharing your evening with us. We really appreciate your listening and, and uh, sharing with us this time. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for that amazing intro. You can find him and his wife at nativestorytellers.com. Please do check out their website. It is amazing. And they represent a way of recording history that uh, has been forgotten by the textbooks. It's really important that we remember it. Excuse me. Also, if you like tonight's show or any of the other ones that you've listened to on our YouTube channel, please subscribe to us. Help us build our numbers so that we can kind of spread our wings and hit a bigger audience. Tonight, Mark has an amazing guest. We're really excited to have her with us. And I know that Mark is excited because uh, she's, she's come, she comes from his neck of the woods, and so they have a great deal in common. So... Uh, I think we're going to learn a little bit more about um, West Virginia than than uh, any of us knew beforehand, and especially about its history and the mounds that are there. I'm really excited because, of course, this is one of my areas that, that I'm fascinated with. So without further ado, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, Barbara? Doing well tonight. Thank you. Good. Yeah. As uh, our second exciting show of the week. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah it, it, it is exciting. Yeah. And, you know, we have, was it like five mm-hmm. authors, you know, not even counting tonight, but, you know, we have like five authors coming up over the next three weeks who are giving Nightlight. Uh, some of the first interviews on their new publications um, next week is going to be more of an, uh, it, you know, have uh, a lot of international settings in the Gobekli Tepe area and, you know, the people in Dalmatia, Split, uh, Spain, France. Uh, maybe even workshop 
uh, Sheffield and the, the Rotherham Triangle might uh, be mentioned too. Uh, but you know, keep keep checking BarbaraDeLong.com in the calendar to see who's uh, coming up. You know, just you don't want to miss next week's show. Uh, but yeah, tonight is another uh, exclusive, more or less an exclusive uh, radio interview uh, for a recently published book, uh, Woodland Mounds in West Virginia. And our guest is Darla Spencer. And she is a leading archaeologist in West Virginia and also has published a book on the Fort Ancient Culture in West Virginia entitled Early Native Americans in West Virginia, the Fort Ancient Culture. Hi, Darla. How are you? I'm great. How about you? Oh, I'm I'm fine. Just, uh, just keep uh, moving along with all these um, authors and, you know, we're just really glad you're making your debut with us tonight, and um, you know, we're uh, colleagues from the same state. You know, I just want to get where uh, the local authors on our show, and as we get started tonight, I want to read a passage that is applicable to our subject for tonight. Um, on page 182 of Squire and Davis's Ancient Monuments of the Mississippi Valley, um, they write a trip of exploration made with special reference to this and kindred points disclosed the fact that between the mouths of the Scioto and Guyandot rivers, the hills upon both sides of the Ohio for the entire distance were studded with mounds. And those, you know, that area would include uh, you know, West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky if Squire and Davis would have uh, canoed up the Kanawha River, they would have had the same sites of mounds lining another 60-mile stretch of the uh, Kanawha River Valley, and there would have been even more mounds if they would have gone further up the Ohio River. However, most modern researchers have pretty much avoided studying West Virginia's rich prehistory. Um, however, you have been changing that perception of our state. Um, and you, you become a leading voice for West Virginia's archaeology. Um, you know, Darla, do you have an idea of you know, maybe other than the industrialization, do you, why, why are we being just like avoided by most researchers when so much is right right here? I don't 
think it's so much a question of being avoided. We just don't have a lot of uh, active archaeologists in West Virginia that um, that write, do research, and write books. Um, most of the other states surrounding us, Virginia and, and Ohio, for example, have lots of publications about different times in prehistory and the mounds. And um, we just haven't had that so much. Um, I can't think of really anyone that's done much writing in West Virginia. Well, you have two books. Right. And, and those are the first ones basically on these topics that, I mean, they're publications in journals and that type of thing, but not really any books. So I thought that was something that needed to be rectified. Oh, yeah, I I agree with you there. And ho- hopefully we'll motivate some people uh, uh, tonight and as they listen on the ar- archives in in the future. But, you know, you, know, you stayed in Woodland Mounds in West Virginia that there were over 400 mounds in West Virginia and Dr. Webb and his Adena people notes, you know, a huge cluster of them in the Charleston area and you know, the uh, Bureau of Ethnology uh, uh, publications 5 and 12 cover uh, many of the, uh, the mounds and, you know, their uh, maps. Uh, so, you know, we know where a lot of the mounds were located. Yeah, general idea of you know, these uh, uh, clusters uh, were located. Um, but you know, obviously, you have to scale, you know, you can't analyze 400 mounds, but you know, you scaled, right. uh, scaled it back to uh, 16. Of the most uh, uh, prominent mounds found across the state, and uh, there there is a lot of uh, d- diversity. Um, you know, uh, you know, by a- analyzing all the artifacts and reading all the field notes, and uh, uh, what, what did you learn about the? Adena people from West Virginia? Well, um, a lot of the um, materials that you find in the mounds, of course, they're burial sites, and we think that probably only a fraction of the population was buried there, and they may have been important people in the group. Um, But the things that they were buried with, uh, beside being personal possessions like pipes, um, they were probably honored with these burial, with these items. Um, And in particular, I was fascinated by the many pipes that you find in the mounds and just the workmanship was amazing. And you think that these people had stone tools only to use. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a fellowship last year from the West Virginia Humanities Council 
that allowed me to go to some of the museums and photograph artifacts from the mounds. A lot of that is um, out of state, of course, and um, and this was for the book. Uh, a lot of the things that were um, excavated during the Bureau of Ethnology's excavations back in the 1880s are now at the Smithsonian Museum Support Center in Maryland. And so I was able to photograph those, but just the workmanship is amazing. I mean, there were art artists and artisans in these groups of people early on. And again, they, they had stone tools to work with and these things are polished. They're perfect. There were a lot of animal effigy pipes that I'm particularly fascinated by. Um, pottery, different, different types of tools and ornaments, marine shell gorgeous and um, there was a lot of copper mm -hmm. and you find of course you don't find copper in West Virginia so it was traded in and mm -hmm. there appeared to be a huge trading network between the, the Gulf and Atlantic Coast and the um, I think the Great Lakes region of Michigan is where a lot of the copper came from and, and the Ohio Valley and West Virginia participated in that somewhat. So um, just the the things you find are just amazing there, you know, for the time, the workmanship and everything was, was just tremendous. And, and you know, we're, we're talking about the Adena and, and uh, yeah, the greater Ohio River uh, drainage. Uh, what time period or are we looking at this was what archaeologists called the woodland period and during the early woodland which began around a thousand BC is the beginning of the woodland period but you don't find the mounds until after about 500 BC we don't have dates for too many of the mounds in West Virginia the ones we do, like the Gray Creek Mound, was built around 200 B.C. I don't think we have any dates for any of the Kanawha Valley Mounds, but we, they probably were the same time frame because we found the similar types of, of items in the mounds. Um, and it lasted for a period of time. And then in the greater Ohio Valley, centering around Chillicothe, the Hopewell period, the Hopewell people, who were basically the same folks as the Adena, but they began to make the huge earthworks and things you find in um, in Ohio. We, do, we just don't have those here. So even though the people here seem to still trade and all with the Hopewell people in uh, Ohio and different areas over there, um, we just – we have some items that were considered Hopewell, but we don't have any earthworks or anything that would be – you know, would were attributed to the Hopewell. So it's basically the Dina people, which were the first mound building culture in uh, in the Ohio Valley. And were there uh, any found, uh, foundations of homes found, like you know, in near the Mounds. Were there villages, or were you know, the dead uh, barged 
from the place they died uh, up and down the riverways and then buried at these uh, necropolises? Like, uh, do, do we know where they lived? Where they lived? They lived a fairly close to the, I mean, usually a, a short distance away, but we don't have very many habitation sites or villages that we found. Um, there are few, and um, they did live in, you know, circular houses. They had pottery, uh, but it's not usually right at the mound, but it's a short distance away. And I re- read recently something I didn't know, that they think that there's probably a village under the city of South Charleston, which makes sense because that's one of the larger mounds in the state. Mm-hmm. At, 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 at the Creole Mound? Right. That's the second largest in um, in the state. And that was excavated back in the 18... I think it began in 1883. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, so when we look at... Um, Yeah, you know, the you know, uh, like the Bureau of Ethnology uh, books that uh, d- discuss uh, you know, a lot of the contents of, of the mounds and who, who was right. buried there. Um, you know, who, who were the People who were buried in the mounds, or is it just you know so, so some of the, the like culturally chief type shaman uh, people? Probably because there weren't very many people buried in the mounds, and they were probably some sort of leaders. Um, obviously, most of the people were buried elsewhere, and. Like I said, we don't have a lot of habitation sites that um, where the other people would have been buried. There are a few, but not too many. But um, we think just because of that, they probably were a person of standing. Okay. And, and, and uh, Colonel Norris's notes um, seems like most of the uh, people or, or the deceased were uh, adults, but um, you, know, you, you do draw our attention to uh, e- examples in your book that mm-hmm. um, a, I don't want to say, Early middle Adena mounds, like the Willow Island mound. Uh, it, it was actually a very simple burial uh, for uh, a, a few people, but it also contained a child burial. And you, know, you uh, may find that more frequently in Ohio, but not really. Uh, it's not really documented too, too many times in the West Virginia literature about child burials. 
Right. Some of the mounds that had, like, I think the Katiga mound uh, had children also, had um, both men and women and children. But uh, depending on the number of mounds, and a lot of this probably uh, relates to how long the mound was used. Most of these mounds were accretional, which meant that they were, you know, some person passed and the mound was first built. Sometimes it was a cremation burial. Um, sometimes it was in a log tomb. Some of the mounds have a log structure underneath them where they was probably like a mortuary facility where the dead was treated or whatever. Um, and then that was either burned or the mound was erected over it. But over time, more individuals would be buried in the mound. And I believe at Katiga, over time, that's probably what happened. And then they were, you know, as people died, they would be buried in the mound. So you do find some children, but but that's not real typical. Yeah, I've noticed that, and it's really uh, – it's noted in, like I said, in your book and – Dr. Hemming's uh, field notes, um, but you, know, you just don't it, see child burials too frequently. You know, maybe a little bit right. later from, from um, the Fairchance Mound, but it just yeah, you know, there's just a, a lot of um, scarce information on how. Uh, uh, children were um, treated at, at death, and you know I'm glad you brought that out in, in the book. And, and then you, know, you also mentioned that the the adults were usually buried with, with the horizontal log. Uh, Tombs that can actually be uh, very large for, you know, like a, you know, a lot of the guys were like five, six, five, seven, five, eight, you know, about the same size as I was. But you know, the the actual uh, tomb was uh, like maybe 10, 10 feet uh, long or more. But there's also, uh, uh, you know, Colonel Norris uh, uh, draws our attention to these vertical log tombs, and that like there were more like uh, uh, log cabins where the mounds were built around or, or and on top of. He's like, you know, houses. Uh, you know, have you looked into that? I, I just thought that was really intriguing with his drawings that you frequently see about the uh, uh, Creole Mound and the Smith Mound. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Again, they probably were more mortuary structures where the mm-hmm. dead was prepared, and then oh, okay. sometimes they were burned. Yeah, that's that's what we think. Um, that a lot of those had those structures underneath. 
and we found the post, you'll find the post molds to show where the, you know, the posts were. And even at the, the Krill Man, there was one. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they have wood from it at the Smithsonian. Yeah, it, it's interesting to see that there were several examples of these log cabins in the, the South Charleston, Dunbar area. And it's not really uh, documented in the uh, northern part of the state. Um, you know, you know well, you were preparing your book. Uh, did, did you notice some of the differences between uh, the northern and southern parts of the uh, Ohio River Valley or the, you know, the, uh, the state? Not so much, and mainly because you know the what, what we have, what we know about it is spotty, and and it depends mm-hmm. on how it was excavated and that type thing. Um, for example, the Gray Creek Mound was excavated in 1838, so their method of doing it wasn't very um, uniform, and they dug tunnels in at different points and did find remains, but. Um, it's just, I guess, it just depends on how it was excavated and when, and um, that that information is just not easily available. Um, I mean, a lot of the mounds have not been excavated at all, which is good because they are burial sites. But um, the methods of excavating today are so, are so much more uniform, and you know, by level and and different things, and they they keep a lot of notes and um just a lot more scientific. Yeah and a large portion of your book deals with the Brave Creek Mounds. You know, I've had a few guests um mention it, you know we haven't really gone to a whole lot of detail. Uh-huh. Yeah you yeah, you were you came up up here, did some research on it, but the cover cover of your book is of the Grave Creek Mount. Why why was this mound yeah, built to be Seventy feet tall. Uh, do do we know anything about the importance of the people buried in it to uh, make this such a uh, you know, like a, a, a it's really a skyscraper from prehistoric right. times, right? It's the largest mound in North America, um, and it was a bit larger before the excavations. Um, they, I think, and what I found during research, there's just not a lot available about a lot of these mounds. 
um, it appeared to be, I think there were two burial um, places in the mound. I mean, they Mm -hmm. dug tunnels in at two different points and found burials. And um, so over time it was used, again, it was accretional and it was used, you know, over time and we don't know how much time elapsed. We don't have really good dates. There's not any really real way to date some of that. Um, but um I'm trying to think what I wanted to I mean, you were talking about it it was uh accretional and uh right. And, then, and it hasn't been totally excavated, which is good, you know, but mm-hmm. it was, like I say, they just dug tunnels in. So there's a lot of information that we just don't have about that. It, it And it, it, you note that the first stage of building of the mounds contained uh, two burials. Uh-huh. And that was seems like it was probably a husband and wife. Do, uh, are we able it's, to uh, prove that uh, that was the case? You know, do we know of any of the uh, bones surviving that could be? Uh, Test uh, have DNA tests done on it. I don't think that would have shown anything. Uh, I don't. Well, I know they haven't done that, um, but I don't know that. There's just not enough information, and I don't know. I'm not even sure where the burials are from those, but um, they might be at Grave Creek. But um, they can't do DNA testing on native remains without going through the NAGPRA process, which is okay. a, a law that was that was passed in 1991, and uh, it allows Native Americans, uh, particularly if they can show a relationship, to actually say what can and can't be done to those. So, um, and they they wouldn't be related by blood, so it wouldn't be they wouldn't show anything anyway. But it, it could have been. You know, a chief or a person of standing and his wife, but we there's just no way to know. Okay, well, it's it, uh, it's just something interesting to ponder, and we just sure. it, it, it's just going to remain a mystery. And what the uh, upper burial is that the one that had the abundance of seashells? Right. Okay. And again, yeah. those are, you know, from the Atlantic or the Gulf Coast, so those were trade items. Okay. So as you know, we look at some of these uh, burials in uh, the far stretches of the Ohio River Valley uh, – We are seeing how extensive the trade network was at this time, and and, and 
he said the shells are coming from uh, the Gulf Coast. Either the Gulf or the Atlantic, either. I think yeah. they have them in both. Wow. You know, interesting. two types of shells you find, and you find those in a lot of mounds. Okay. And the um, – a lot, a lot of people are um, impressed with the overwhelming size of the mounds, but um, – when you walk around it, you're not going to realize that, that there was actually a moat or a, a hinge surrounding it uh, that right. f- filled in over time. Uh, yeah, that seems to be uh, the uh, hinge seems to be a. Uh, Kind of a, a unique feature. Um, what do you make of the hinge? Well, it was more of a moat, right? I mean, that's okay. what was surrounded the mound. And then there was a crossway, I assume, leading into one of the tunnels. Um, I don't know the purpose. I don't. I don't know. I mean, we, there's just no way to know what they used it for. I mean. It wouldn't have been defensive, I don't think, because there was no one in there except for burials. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't know a lot about that. We know it was there, and that's the only mound that I know of that had that feature. It, 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 when, when we look at uh, some of these you know, like the, the the moat with the uh, passageway across it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any evidence of the archaeoastronomy being uh, engineered into the, these uh, burial sites? That's. You know, uh, more prominent at the Hopewell uh, sites, like the o- Octagon Mound. But uh, right. uh, yeah, yeah, were, were the Adena people uh, as heavily I- involved in the archaeoastronomy as the uh, Hopewell would be, uh, you know, two three hundred years later? Well, it's hard to say. Um, I don't know that that's the case. We don't really know anything about that, about their, you know, their beliefs or their religions or whatever. I mean, there's just no way to know. There are no written records at that time, so um, we don't know a lot about the folks, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's Yorkio uh, astronomy. It, it's been a um, New area of study, and you know, people have really um, analyzed like the octagon mound, and and it's like right. you can't even 
uh, you know, reproduce what the the Hopewell people did, even with today's like laser transits. Right, they were very uh, accurate. It's just a really interesting uh, subject that's just emerging now. But uh, you know, after covering so so many of these mounds across the state, um, what's a mystery that? you would like to see solved, you know, like the archaeoastronomy could, could be one, you know, what's something that you are really fascinates you about what the Adena did in our state? Well, I'm just fascinated by the whole thing and it's, it's, you know, not knowing a lot about their culture and all you have to go on are um, items that they made. Um, it's just amazing to to see, like I say, the artistry and different things. But um, I can't think of anything that, um, because we don't know so much, that... Um, Well, like the archaeostromy, they don't. That's not really something archaeologists do. That's more of sort of a an offshoot, I guess. And I don't know a lot about it. Uh, I'll just yeah, and some of the art artwork that you feature in your book, like the um, oh, the the crescent turtle. And right. the shoveler duck mm-hmm. from the welcome mount. Uh, we need to stop and take a look at those items. Uh, that th- those two artifacts just really show the high degree of artistry found. Throughout this region, uh, mm-hmm. you know, did, did did you photograph the uh, shoveler duck? I or, did. Or, okay, uh, okay. So that's your your, your photo. Uh, um, right. Uh, can you tell us about like how, how big of a uh, uh, artifact is it? Is it like a well, foot long or something? It's around a foot long, I would say. Oh. Yeah, and it's amazing. Again, with stone tools, I mean, it's just it's polished, it's perfect, it's beautiful, and that the artistry is just amazing. That's one of the things I took away from it. Yeah, you know, really. And uh, uh, what color is it? It's kind of a dark. It's not quite black. It's almost black. It's a dark, um, kind of a grayish brown. Okay. 
it it is a very neat looking artifact and, and and what was the purpose of it it was a pipe oh and a, a big pipe <laughs> but yeah a lot of those were pipes and um a lot have animal effigies or in the shape of, of some sort of animal but again with stone tools it's just incredible okay and, and what was the uh Cressa turtle what what role did it have with with uh being placed with a deceased person do do you know it, uh, much about that not a lot, and that's sort of another mystery because it was a tablet, what they call a tablet, and they came in different shapes, but that's one of the more unique ones because it is a turtle form, But we and they were found in the burial size, but we don't really know what their purpose was. Cool. And let's see what... Any other questions here? Uh, and is we have you know, some of these examples of the pipes and the uh, effigy uh, uh, tablets. Um, right. Later, uh, I, just, I don't want to j- jump too far ahead of myself, but. Yeah, we also have the um, underwater panther carvings right. uh, uh, that that were found in uh, Mason County, and you know uh, we're going to hear more about uh, Mason County and the Mothman, and uh, you know more of that that kind of backgrounds uh, of strangeness and. You know, my ancestors are from there, so it, it all fits together. But uh, you, know, you get the, um, you know, the, the this panther uh, artwork that's located at the Tuendui, uh Park. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, this the artwork that. Yeah, you, know, you you document in your book as well as um, in the in your Fort Ancient book. Yeah, you know, this is a strong tradition from uh, what about two thousand years ago up until what I don't know, what the uh, underwater panthers maybe three four hundred years old. Uh, it's, it's it's more recent, isn't it? Right. But but there's a lot of artistry uh, found throughout the state. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, stone, the panther stone tablet? Well, it was a, it was actually well you've seen it right. I mean it was right. a large cutout. Um, it was found in a creek bed in Mason County. The carving and the the man that owned the property and I can't remember his name, but he cut it out of the creek bed, and he made steps to uh, actually it was to get on his horse, um, 
but the underwater panther was a deity that was um I think it was the Algonquian speaking people had and it was sort of the underworld figure. And I don't know a lot about that, but that's where that came from. Um, but there is, you know, there, there's just not a lot of artwork, but there is some. Mm-hmm. I've been impressed with it. I'm just, I'm just glad you're just uh, drawing or our attention to it. And right. the, the um, photography you did uh, for the book uh, you're at uh, Smithsonian uh, taking photos the um, uh, Pennsylvania uh, uh, yeah yeah the uh, yeah the University of Pennsylvania and in another one of your publications you you also have photos of some of the um, artifacts from the Dunbar mounds, like the mica sheet from the Smith mound, right? Uh, some of the wood from the catacomb mound. What? Uh, it, it, is it like going through the process to get get the um, permission to photograph? Is it you know, a, a challenge? You have to do a lot of paperwork, uh, you know, and with all the researchers we have in the audience, you know, if they want to go to some of these museums and uh, you know take photographs and you know for for their articles. Uh, what can they expect to go through in this process? Because it, it, it is very important. Sure, and it, it's not too difficult. Um, I've worked at the Smithsonian several times. I got my first fellowship in 2004, so I've been there several times. And those people are really great to work with. I mean, if you're doing serious research, mm-hmm. you just have to contact them and let them know what you're doing uh, and then set up an appointment to go visit. And um, they basically let you go through this. They have everything in house and cabinets in drawers um, and take out the artifacts and they have a place to photograph it. And all they really ask is that you give them a copy of the publication when it's completed. Um, I also worked at the Carnegie Museum on the Crescent Mound. That's where the turtle turtle is now. Oh, okay. And basically the same thing. The people, the keepers of these collections are very nice and accommodating. They want this. You know, they want these things to be published. So they work with you on that, and um, it's, it was a pretty pleasant experience that all those. Uh, Facilities. Okay, and yeah, you, know, you have uh, another interesting 
uh, publication uh, 120 years later, look at the Canal Valley Mound Complex, and you, you worked with uh, a number of people to uh, plot on a modern street grid where it's most likely a, a lot of the mounds that were located on uh, Colonel Smith's farm in Dunbar were located. You know, it, it was just a huge, I, I, I guess it was probably just a huge pasture. It was, it was what, a uh, like a 500 acre farm. So, you know, there wasn't the modern uh, streets there right. at the time. Um, but uh, as the city of Dunbar grew, you know, kind of lost uh, sight of where most of the mounds were. But uh, you, you, know, you, you, you worked on this publication to give us a pretty close um, uh, you know, uh, proximity of where the, the mounds would be located today. Uh, how did you go about uh, doing that? Like finding, you know, the Smith Mound was located on 18th Street. Well, actually, I can't take credit for that. Uh, one of the early Archaeological Society members did that. Um, we're locating the locations on the mound. Of course, Mound School. Was there was a mound there, so some of that was obvious. Mm. But um, he was able to find some of the locations of the mounds, and um, there's a good article on one of the West Virginia archaeologists. I don't remember which number, but um, he used deed books and different things to, um, you know, find the properties and locate the mounds. And he was able to find quite a few. Okay. And, and <clears throat> speaking of um, the, the uh, West Virginia, one of these articles is in the um, one of the West Virginia archaeologist magazines. Um, right. If people want to learn a little bit more about um, West Virginia archaeology, um, e even th there are some articles about Ohio archaeology there, like you know, Do Dr. Uh, Grieber's uh, Continuity and Contrast article. That's mm -hmm. uh, probably been one of the most um, well-received uh, publications in archaeology in what the last 20 years or so uh you know that uh, that's in one of the uh west virginia archaeologist uh magazines um right. can, can, could, could you tell the listeners like how they can go about look looking for publications that might be able to help them with some of their research Sure. There is the West Virginia Archaeological Society has a website, 
and it's uh, wvarch.org. They can look that up, and they have listings of all the um, archaeologists. Um, it started in 1949, so there are quite a few, and you can get PDFs of all those. Um, you can purchase those. They're like $5 or something and download them. But there is a wealth of information. You know, it's been published for many, many years. Um, and there are other publications on there. My book is on there, I believe. Um, so that's a good place to start. Okay. And, and if people want to uh, learn a little bit more about some of these artifacts and the um, Adina in the uh, Charleston area, there, there is the South Charleston Interpretive Center that people can right. uh, go to and stop and say hi to Gloria and Lil. Uh, what? Uh, <clears throat> what? What's at at that museum? And, and it's just right down the street from the Creole Mound. That's what about three, four blocks away. Right. That's one of my favorite places. Those those folks are just so nice and um it's not a very big place but they have artifacts people have donated artifact collections so they have a range of artifacts from different time periods um the photographs when i did my first i think it was 2008 when i went to the smithsonian and uh, photographed artifacts from the mounds in the valley the Kanawha valley and those a lot of those photos are there and the people that work there, Gloria and Lil, are just very helpful and will answer questions. Um, I had my first book signing there on this book. And um, I would highly recommend if, if you know people are in the area to try to visit. It's a great little place. And they'll answer your questions if they know the answer. But um, there's a lot of history in there. Okay, and, and uh, you know, we can just look at the street layouts map of Dunbar in the 120 years publication that you, you helped with. And, you know, we know the mounds you know, we're located here and there, and uh, if you read uh, Colonel Norris's reports uh, of the mounds, he, t he talks about the uh, stone mounds on on top of another terrace that looked down onto the earthen mounds and the Kanawha River Valley. Uh, do do we have any understanding of the purpose of these stone mounds? I think that's just really intriguing. You get you know the two different uh, mediums right. being used, uh, uh, different elevations. Uh, it, 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 are they uh, contemporaneous or 
are the stone mounds later? Uh, do do you know anything about them? Or, or are they still there? I don't know that they're there. Uh, I did a survey years ago on the Lower Canal Valley, and there was several of those. Um, they were burial places as well. And I know that one, and the thing with the accretional mounds is a lot of times a later population would bury some of their dead in. So it would, over time, they got late, uh, later and later. Um, and I know that there was a child buried in one that had a stone, um, an iron axe or an axe. Mm. So that was a, like a European item. So that was pretty late, pretty late burial. But um, I don't know that they were Adena. We don't really know a lot about those. I don't know that they're datable. That's part of the problem. Or I don't know that any have been tried to be dated. Okay. Uh, that's something to uh, consider. As, right. You know, okay, and you know, you know, we do. I think I think you mentioned in your Woodlands book that uh-huh. in the catacomb mound there was uh, corn found right. in there. Uh, okay. We have corn appearing maybe a little earlier than usual. Uh, you know, uh, right. And you know, traditionally thought of. Um, exactly. Do do we know much about the horticultural uh, practices uh, of the Adena? You know, they're obviously growing some stuff, eating. You know, deer and uh, game from the woods, but you know, do we know much about uh, uh, their gardening skills? Well, they weren't farmers. They didn't actually have corn to grow. They didn't grow corn at the time. Corn didn't appear in the uh, in West Virginia until after a thousand A.D., and that's more the Fort Ancient period. But this was really um, kind of unique to find corn in the bottoms of some of the mounds and probably it was a ceremonial item uh, probably traded in because again they didn't grow it then the corn did kind of make its appearance in Ohio the Ohio area farther down the you know the valley um, so it wasn't a major crop they didn't until after a thousand AD you didn't find um uh, farming villages but they did have domesticated plants and these were um, plants like kenopodium and they were just some of the kind of weedy plants that they cultivated I mean they would they didn't necessarily plant those but they would kind of take care of them so they would come back every year but it wasn't really farming as you think of it as the Fort Ancient people did Okay. When so the corn. I'm sorry. Oh, 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 no, go, go ahead, Darla. Well, the corn is intriguing because, again, it's a very early instance of corn, and I've kind of reached out to other archaeologists, um, Brad Lepper in Ohio, and if he if he knows of any instances of corn in the mounds, and he didn't, and um, 
So that's something I'd like to do more research on just to see, you know, instances of corn in mounds. And that's a very, very early occurrence of that in, in this region. Okay. It's another fascinating subject. And, right. and, and as you get into, you know, West Virginia's late, later uh, history at the Ford Ancient Peoples, how is that culture different um, from the Adena approaching about a thousand years later? What what did you find in your research about these people occupying about the same area about a thousand years afterwards? Well, the Ford Ancient People were some of the first farmers they were actually they were very sedentary they lived in villages along the rivers and they did grow corn beans and squash and that's after corn had made its way to this area um they lived in circular villages uh, again we don't know a lot about the adena villages in west virginia there there haven't been too many documented um but they did obviously they lived fairly close to the mounds, but um, the uh, Fort Inch of people no longer built mounds. They buried their dead in the village, uh, but they were farmers, and that they hunted to supplement, you know, their diets. Um, that was after the first uh, bow and arrows appeared, so they used bow and arrows for hunting, where the Adena used spear points or spears. So it was a different lifestyle, and um, the Adena, the, the focus has always been on the burial mounds because that's what's visible, that's what remains, mm-hmm. but we don't know too much about the, their way of life. You know, we just know about that one feature pretty much, where the Fort Ancient People, and in my other book, I talk about the Fort Ancient People, and you know, you, you, you know more about their lifestyles and their artifacts were they had gaming pieces. They game. They did maybe, maybe even bet on things. We don't know, but um, and they had different pottery. Um, they were just a lot more sedentary, more settled into village life. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. You mentioned games. Uh, what types of games were they playing? A thousand years ago. Well, we don't really know for sure, but they do have um, gaming pieces, and they're round little disc-like pieces. We find those at several villages. It could have been some sort of a betting game, or it could have been something similar to Chunky, which was a game that was played by Native Americans in North America and to historic times, I think. I don't know a lot about the game in it itself, but... Um, you find a lot of leisure um, items. You'll find little bone flutes or whistles made out of turkey leg bones. So we know that they had music. Um, wow. And just a lot lot more. Um, I, I, it, it almost seemed like it was they were struggling less to sur- just to survive as the Adena were. The Adena probably 
had a pretty rough life. It was, um, they didn't have farming, they didn't have the crops, so they had to hunt, you know, for, and, and they domesticated the plants to supplement their diets, but the Fort Ancient people had more leisure time. I'm okay, not sure it, they hunted and stuff, but, you know, they, they did have, um, you'll find little, um, from leftover pieces of clay, you'll find little pieces of figures and different things, maybe made for the children when they did the pottery. Okay, so, uh, just, so, 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 so uh, really no, uh, like, clay figurines, you know, like, for children really existed uh, during the Adena period then? So we see, not that I know of. Not okay. that I've seen. Uh, I, I, I haven't read anything about that either. I, I, I just, you know, you know, just, uh, you know, just developing an interesting contrast in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the social developments and, and, and it, in your, your Fort Ancient book, it is. Do, do do we do we get any information about the uh, palisaded villages? And I, the, the, right. You, you have like some um, an aerial photo of one of them. Uh-huh. Is it is it is that right? You know, uh, right. it was a circular village. What what were they starting to have? Uh, walled villages at that time? Well, they, they were circular villages. Um, their houses were made of logs, but the, they were in Adena period too. Um, they did have a palisade, so there may have been, and you don't find that at Adena villages that we know of. So it may have been increased warfare, and that could have been for different reasons. Um but um, is oh, is there a reason for um, in, increased uh, warfare hostilities? Do, do you have any idea about that at this moment? It's just theory, of course, but it could have been, you know, um, different groups raiding the crops of other groups. Um, so sense. they built palisades for defense. But it, it, it's it's just hard to say without. I mean, there's no there are no written records, of course, and it's just hard to know for sure. But that's probably what it was, and um, maybe just depletion of one area and then they would, you know, go to a different area and, and try to take things from another group. Okay. It, and it, since, since you know, we've covered a little bit of the captivating stone artwork, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have 
yet to introduce the Kanawa Madonna. What do you think about that? Yeah, what do you think of that at the cultural center? Uh, I don't. I don't know what to think. I don't know. We don't know much about that when it was built or by whom or, you know, um, it's kind of a mystery all around. Yeah, it is the figure carrying a little teeny tiny little baby buffalo or what is what is it? it it's it is something that is on display it's what from a 400 year old tree or something like the 500 year old right. tree but uh it makes you stop and wonder about the artistic expressions that someone was doing at, at that time I, uh, uh, the, the the animal does look like uh, you know, it could be a child holding a baby buffalo. Um, right. Yeah. I. Yeah. Or do do we know if buffalo were roaming the Canola Valley at that time, or no, they weren't within the state. No. Um, there's no mention of buffalo, and there's no buffalo remains found at any of the sites in West Virginia. They didn't come into the valley until much later, and I know in the 1700s when George Washington visited, there were there were buffalo. You know, they talked about buffalo back then, but um, it's um, there were no buffalo remains found at any of these sites, so they weren't here then. Okay. Are and yeah. You know, do do you have any book signings coming up? You you, know, you were just in Charleston doing one a couple weeks ago. Do you, do you have any? Right. Or no, 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 I'm sorry. And yeah, you have one coming up on the 23rd. That that was right. uh, you. Okay, uh, is that one downtown? That's on Capitol Street. Yeah, Taylor Books bookstore downtown okay and the 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 one at the uh um inter south charleston interpretive center was a couple weeks ago so you have one right. up on the 23rd and uh-huh. uh you know we have archaeology day that people can attend uh that one is being Held at the Grave Creek Mound right. in Moundsville. Uh, what is Archaeology Day? That's on a, in October. Archaeology Month is October in West Virginia, and um, they have different people come in and do flint napping. They have a lot of collectors from their collections. I'm going to be there this year, and they have people doing uh, demonstrating at lateral throwing and. Uh, flint nappers uh, demonstrating flint napping and that type of thing. So it should be a nice, um, nice day. Okay. October fifth. Uh, um, right. Where where do people get your books? 
Um, they're on Amazon. Both of them are in, on Amazon. They have it up at Grave Creek Mound, uh, and Taylor Books is carrying it as well. But the, the easiest place would be Amazon. Okay, and, and you'll be able to autograph some sure. at, at, at your appearance at Taylor Books. Uh, right. Um, so, you know, we, you know, I think you made some interesting cases. Uh, West Virginia has a lot of unexplained mysteries that yet to be solved. Uh, where, where is West Virginia archaeology going in the future? It's hard to say. There have been um, a lot of excavations. Um, most of us driven by um, like consulting firms doing archaeological projects and that type of thing, and then they put out reports. Now, those aren't necessarily available to the public, but um, there are articles in the, like you mentioned, the West Virginia Archaeologist about a lot of these these um, projects and, you know, the things they find, like the Burning Spring Branch Village was found by a project that the company I work for did for the uh, Army Corps of Engineers for the Marmot Lock Replacement Project, and they found the village up there. So a lot of this comes out in that way. Okay, and, and speaking of the Marmot Locks, there you know, some of these Really deep antiquity type uh, sites, like uh, you know, the Buffalo site, were found because of uh, the building of the modern locks and dam systems. Uh, how has that changed our understanding of West Virginia's prehistory? Well, projects like that discover sites, um, particularly if they're on the rivers, because that's where a lot of the people live along the rivers too that was their trade network and they're probably their the way they got around um so you know we know a lot more about it because of these projects and because you can't just go and dig like people used to or it's it's not a good idea to do that you know um these type projects uncover Sites that wouldn't be found otherwise. Mm-hmm. It, 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 as we got got started talking, um, you, know, you spoke about you, you had a grant to uh, do some of your uh, research. Mm-hmm. You know, for the uh, listeners out there, uh, how does one go about? Uh, doing that in their state to um, get get funding to write a book and you know, get uh, 
you know, the travel costs, uh, film development, uh, you know, uh, going to all these museums to examine artifacts. Um, what's the process? Well, in, in West Virginia, we have the West Virginia Humanities Council. Um, I'm not sure what type of organizations are in other states, but here um, you go to the, through the Humanities Council. They have a um, calendar every year to apply for grants and fellowships, and uh, it's funded by the um, National Humanities Program. Um, I believe their fellowships come out in April, but you just have to show that you're doing serious research or you're writing a book or you need to visit some museums or that type thing and fill out an application. Um, and then they choose certain ones each year, but they've been very helpful. They've been, um, I've had several grants from them and they funded a lot of archeological projects in the state in particular. So I'm, I'm a, a big fan of the, the Humanities Council. And like I said, I don't know what types of organizations they have in other states, but they probably have similar things because this is a state affiliate of the national um, the national program. Okay. It, it, and, it, you, know, it, you know, we can go for uh, – a few more minutes. I, uh, uh, is there anything else you want to cover about uh, West Virginia's prehistory? Just go patronize the museums, South Charleston Interpreter Center, right? The the, the Blenner Hassett. Yeah, you know, they're. You know, the museums are uh, you know, kind of few and far between, but it, it, if you know where to go, you know, like the Grave Creek Mounds uh, Museum right. for the Artifact uh, Day in October, it's you – know, you're going to uh, learn a lot. Um, do, do you have any concluding uh, – Remarks on where some of your favorite places to go to learn about West Virginia's rich prehistory. Right. Well, one of my favorite places is Grave Creek Mound Archaeological Complex, and that's a wonderful facility. It's on the the grounds of the Grave Creek Mound. They have a museum there. They have collections from the mound and. Um, a lot of different functions go on there. They have a bookstore, and they house a lot. They house the it's the repository for archaeological collections in the state. So everything from federal projects, companies do that all winds up there. Uh, the people up there are great to work with too. But those type of things, and then they have Archaeology Day. They have a lot of functions like that. Um, that's, I think, our premier um, museum in the state. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Blenner Hassett Museum and... Um, the Stahl Collection. Right. And 
yeah, there there aren't a lot, but they, we have some great ones. And the Interpretive Center, I love that little place. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, all right. Do, do you, uh, Barbara, do 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 you have any uh, final questions you want to ask? No, I think she's done a magnificent job of filling us in on, again, you know, one of those areas that that is not common knowledge to a great many people and. Knowing that there are so many mounds out there, the yet to be investigated, not necessarily um, excavated, but certainly um, looked into as much as they can without destroying them. I think it's it's fascinating. It it's also encouraging that there are still some of the mounds out there that haven't been destroyed by farmers or or treasure hunters or or artifact hunters, for that matter. Um, I, I find it amazing knowing in the 1800s how actively they were taking apart in this country. They were taking apart just about every mound they could find to see if there were, you know, any artifacts in them that they could take home and put on the mantelpiece. Um, unfortunately, ignoring the fact that they were destroying historical evidence. But um, right, and burial sites. Yeah, I it, it to me, I, I think the one thing that you've mentioned that is so fascinating to me is the lack of, of of children's bones in places. And I'm wondering if there was just such a high mortality rate that, that you know, children didn't live long enough to be big enough to really be buried, you know, um, that, that possibly, you know, the infant mortality rate was so high that, that – um, they they just didn't survive long enough to to become I don't know a person so to speak. In other words, they they didn't make it to seven, eight, nine years old because of because of how how difficult living must have been at that particular point in time. I think also it was probably more people of standing in the community like the chief and those type people that were buried in the mounds. Not everybody was buried there. So that's probably another reason you don't find a lot of children. Yeah, very few of them actually rose that kind of level of of taking care of things. And possibly if if it was a child of a leader or something like that, that might, might have happened. Right. But um, Right, and it could be that's what the Willow, Willow Island men could be, that, that one young person that was buried in there could have been, you know, a son of a chief or something or whatever they were at that period. Well, I think one of the, the things that so fascinates me about that particular time frame, of course, there are no written records and very few right. gl- glyphs of any sort that you can you can get an idea as to what community was like or or what their way of life was like. So, so what you've been able Uh, do we lose you, Barbara? Oh, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay, I think uh, Barbara pushed the wrong button. Oh, <laughs> she's 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 probably calling in. To 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 uh, child burials. Uh, 
it seems like most researchers are pretty thorough, but do do child uh, burials uh, survive? Even the indications that there was a, a, a child placed in a um, mound. Uh, do, do their bones last very long? I just, just wonder if there's like a. It was profound. And uh, we, the, what what mark? Oh, just uh, I think you disappeared there for a minute. Oh I, no, I'm still here. Okay. Uh, but but you know I I think that's one thing that so many people do are curious about as to you know well who did they worship what did they worship and and the reality is they were living in harmony with the land and that was their religion to a to a great you know if you want to call it a religion but but it was a spiritual connection to the land that was very profound and uh, I don't think we give them credit for that and. Part of the reason is because there's no there are no tangible records of that. Mm-hmm. I think um, just, nothing just to be left curiosity. behind. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know that's 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 kind of the the um, holistic way of looking at it. You know, you come in with nothing, you go out with nothing. Um, but in the right. bones that have been discovered. Um, have has there have has there been any indication of of disease and stuff like that, or is it basically, um, you know, natural passing? I guess is the way I would I would put it. I think because it's mostly just, natural. So, natural so passing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so so in many ways they didn't have the disease that is out there now. The and and it doesn't appear from what and I and I apologize for not being really knowledgeable in this field, but it doesn't appear that there were quote unquote wars or battles or you know of any great magnitude, so that so that people kind of lived in peace and and tranquility to a certain. I mean I mean I know it was a rough life, but but they didn't go attacking up each other and, and trying to seize possessions and things like that or it doesn't appear that they did we just don't there's not real, a lot of evidence of that but like I was saying earlier the during the Port Ancient period when they started building palisades around the village it was probably a little bit more competitive yeah. and it could have been people well, you know just having a bad year with crops and then wanting to just steal from your neighbors or something but um you find the palisades then. Well, yeah, it wasn't because there were that many wild animals that were preying upon the populace. So I would imagine it had to be from human, other humans that they were trying to defend themselves. But um, we are right. running close to being out of time here, and, and I do so thank you for being here. This has been very illuminating, and, and I hope that it has, in many ways, um, you know, stimulated a, a greater awareness and a curiosity, because these these artifacts and these mounds and I mean, there's monks mound. There there are so many sites across the whole country that that 
that date back so very, very far that, that we should be aware of, that we should understand the cultures that were here, you know, before, before you know, the Europeans invaded and destroyed as much as they could. Right. And, and, and they, you know, they, they didn't bring, they didn't bring a higher level of awareness of, of religion or, or spirituality because I think, I think the people living here had a, a greater handle on the spiritual stuff, but they, they did gift us with, you know, disease and, um, all sorts of other things that we probably could have done without. <laughs> so can you imagine? Can you imagine how amazing this country might have been had the Europeans not invaded? I mean, right? It it, it could have been spectacular, and because of the ignorance of the Europeans, and and of course that's where my family comes from, so I I take a small bit of blame here, but but. We destroyed something that could have been a, a far more beautiful type of culture had we kept our hands off. Right. But but that said, I agree. I want to thank I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. And I want to, you know, uh, just it, it is so nice to know that people quietly are out there trying to not only preserve but to learn about our past and somebody once said that if you if you don't learn about your if you don't learn about the foundation upon which your culture is is built it will crumble and you'll have to go back to square one and and I I think that in many mm-hmm. cases that's where we are today you know we we don't understand where we came from and how we how we evolved to this point in time and we we are not paying attention to our past so that we don't have a good foundation for the present and we have no foundation for the future. So what the work that you're doing is far more important than, than so many people realize. And it is crucial that we understand this part of our heritage in order to be able to take it forward and incorporate it into supposedly what we've learned today. Um, I, I, I think that, that the work you're doing so quietly is so profoundly important, and and I do thank you for all of your work and all of your efforts. Um, I do want to remind people to to go to Amazon and look for your books, to check out your website, um, and and take a look at the work that you're doing. It's it's not primitive work; it's in intricate work, and it is so important that we understand you know this part of our history. So. That said, I'm gonna gonna pull this to an end and thank everybody for listening and thank our guest and thank Mark. And if you yep. have enjoyed this, please, please, please go to um, the uh, YouTube channel and subscribe to it. This is the show is going to be there tomorrow sometime. And then um, I, I highly encourage you to not only listen to the show, but then to research some of the material that, that has been put out there by our amazing guests. So, that said, good night, Mark. Yep. Good, good night, Barbara. Th- thank you so much for producing, and th- thank you, Darla, for being our special guest tonight. We'll see everyone... Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, we'll see everyone Monday and Tuesday of next week with uh, two more guests premiering their books Absolutely. Thanks again, and good night, everybody. Good night.